Hello and welcome to RFID Insider, a show that discusses all things RFID and the technology's impact across all industries. I'm Suzanne Smiley. You can find past episodes at our website, RFIDinsider.com, and be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. In this episode, I'll be discussing race timing, a huge segment in the RFID industry with my co-host, Timothy Pribble, the race timing specialist at AtlasRFIDStore.com. After that, Eric Anderson will join us from Impinge to talk about the release of the Impinge Speedway R120 and how it compares to their other leading readers, the R220 and the R420. Let's get started. But first, a word from our sponsor. RFID Insider is presented by Atlas RFID Store, a leading provider in enterprise RFID technology. Start your project today at atlasrfidstore.com. Hi, thanks for joining us. I'm back with Timothy Pribble. Timothy's on the show today to talk to us a little bit about race timing. Tim, tell us about race timing. To get started, what is it? I like to think that race timing came about shortly after the first clocks. Race timing with RFID, though, is a different story. So you're pretty much using radio frequency identification products to time an event or a race and get participants' time that they actually travel from point A to point B. And how long does it usually take to complete a specific race or event? So race timing can be used to time anything for as short as a 1K walk-off or a full marathon, triathlons, mud runs. So races can be all different lengths. How has RFID specifically changed the race timing industry? So RFID products have made it much easier for timers to time races with thousands and thousands of participants. So if you think about like the Boston Marathon, New York Marathon, Chicago Marathon, those races have upwards of 30,000 to 50,000 participants each race. So before RFID, there was no way that you could do that with a clipboard or with people spotting them and trying to get their start time or finish time. And now they're able to lay out some RFID readers and antennas, pick up 50,000 runners times that they go across the start line, and then their times as they go across the finish line. Okay, so what is the difference in accuracy when using RFID versus clipboards and spotters? RFID tags can be picked up within hundredths and thousandths of a second. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to know exactly when that tag crossed over that line, not like a laser like in Mission Impossible where they crossed that red laser. Rather, it's going to be like a shadow. You're going to be going to the shadow of RF energy, and when that tag enters that shadow, the tag will be picked up, and then the racer's name and ID will be logged with his time. So it's usually pretty accurate when you're running these events? Yes. Okay, so what about efficiency? Is it efficient to add RFID to your race? Absolutely. You can lay down a read point in a matter of minutes and be able to tag thousands of runners as they get through the start line and finish line. And that type of setup without RFID would require a lot of volunteers with clipboards and and people monitoring and making sure that everyone's start time's correct and then watching for finish times as they come through. So it seems like RFID has kind of turned race timing into more of a high-tech outdoor event. Is that correct? Absolutely. So if you imagine what it was like before, I know we keep on going back to the clipboard example, but now you're using actual technical products that require computers and laptops out there, and you're connecting to your internet, to Wi-Fi. So it is making it more of a techie type industry. So who uses RFID for race timing? 
So the big names you can think of, I mentioned earlier, the Boston Marathon, the New York Marathon, Chicago Marathon, all these races that are timing 40 and 50,000 participants are using them. But along with that, you're also seeing the people that are timing four, five, five Ks a year, or they're timing fun runs, or they're the hobbyists that just want to time one or two races a year. They still have a full-time job, but they, you know, help their son with their track. Speaking of track, there's cross-country coaches at local high schools or colleges that are using RFID to time races. So Anyone from as big as the Boston Marathon to as small as a a local high school coach could be using RFID products. Awesome. Speaking of cross-country racing, what are some other different types of races that people can time with RFID? I get lots of calls for lots of different applications and different types of races. Usually kayak races, we have cycle races or bike races. We have ski races and NASCAR. Anything from drone racing. Drone racing is becoming increasingly more popular. We have athletic events like CrossFit. If you watch the CrossFit games, they're timing the participants with the RFID chips and even race cars. So little remote control cars where they're going around tracks, they're using RFID to time those as well. Wow. So it's anything between small races with small cars to big races for big cars or even kayaks. Can you tell me how noticeable RFID tags are on the participants? Is there any way that I've run a race using RFID and not known? So like you mentioned, there are small races with little cars or races with NASCAR. Tag size can also vary. So you may have very well run a race where you did not know that there was an RFID chip on the back of the bib that you were wearing or on the shoelace. You know, they may have just given you a little square piece of plastic and told you to put it through your shoelace. You're actually getting time for a race. So when you're thinking about tag size, it can vary from pretty much the size of a label to about the size of a license plate. And if you're timing something as big as a car or truck, you might use one of those big license plate tags. But if you're timing something as small as a race car or a human being, you lean towards more of the label size tag. Do you tag someone more than once? Like, could there be a tag on my bib and also on my shoe as well? Or is it just one tag per participant? You can do something known as double tagging where you're putting two tags on each racer. So that actually really increases your readability and your read rates, makes it a lot easier to pick up tags in in different types of races. For drone races, we've seen where those drones are flying through the air at such high speeds, it really helps your timing if you put tags on all three or four different sides of the drone. So that's where you can see putting multiple tags on a racer or on a race car or a drone will give you better read rates. So not only are you getting better results, but accuracy, like you were talking about before, like hundreds of a second, thousands of a second accuracy. Does that help you get a combination of effects with RFID? Like, could you do something like a photo finish? Yeah, so if you're talking about races that would require extreme accuracy, for example, the 40-yard dash when they're timing athletes doing the 40-yard dash or 100-meter sprint, you won't necessarily rely on RFID for that. You might rely on a combination of photo finish with RFID to try to get accurate representation of the time that it took to do that. Because as I mentioned before, you're casting that shadow, which can be as wide as three or four feet wide. And when a participant enters that shadow, their tag will be picked up. So through testing, you can get very, very accurate finish times by angling the antennas the correct way. But if you are timing a race, again, like a 40-yard dash, when it comes to something that accurate where the participants are within a hundredth of a second, you probably want to move towards photo finish. Yeah, when you were mentioning the 40-yard dash, I was thinking about the Olympics which would probably be a good case for using RFID and a photo finish so the results can be, you know, not be contested or have any doubt about them. Yeah, and photo finish is a little bit more expensive, you know, it requires cameras and other type of technology to take care of that. 
and the Olympics having the budget, they probably would want to use that for the shorter races. But you might see it with the longer races, the long 26-mile marathons or the walking races or bike races. They might use RFID for those. Okay, so taking it back to local or small-time races, if I decided I wanted to get started timing races, what do you think the best next step is? We have some great content on our website. We've got a series of six ebooks that walk through everything that you need to know about setting up your own race. It will talk about anything from the equipment used for an RFID system to the types of tags used and how to tag your runner, your racer, your cyclist, to even the race day. What else is there to think about? Do I need a laptop? Do I need a tent? Do I need uh, tables and chairs? It will touch on everything that you need to know about race day. So speaking of race timing myself, Do you think I need to find like a large company to help me with this? Or can I just get started myself by doing timing at, say, a small school or a local event? Do I need to reach out to someone first? Yeah, I like to tell everyone that they pretty much have three options if they'd like to time a race. They can either hire a third-party company to come in and time that race. Usually that can be pretty expensive, especially if you're timing multiple races throughout the year. You're paying several thousand dollars for that timer to come in and time the race. The second option would be to buy a timing system and call yourself a timer, and then you would buy this timing system from some of those larger timing companies, and you would time it yourself. And then the third people are more go-getters. They're entrepreneurs. They're trying to set it up themselves. So they will buy all the individual pieces, the readers and antennas, and maybe even develop the software themselves, and they will time a race that way. So Tim, before we close out this topic, do you have any other tips for our listeners who might be interested in getting started in race timing with RFID? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier in the segment, RFID has made it so much easier to time races and it really opened the doors for these people that wouldn't have otherwise timed a race. So, you know, a lot of people are scared of technology. They think that RFID is this new techie thing that they'll never be able to understand. But, you know, with our ebooks that we put together, it really explains it out in a very simple way what is involved with setting up a race and don't fear the RFID, take it on head on. All right, I'm going to ask you a fun fact question before the end of this segment. So where do you think the RFID industry will be in 2030? We both know it's growing so fast, new applications on the news daily, but where do you see it? I see it everywhere. The cost for RFID tags and RFID readers and antennas are going down every single year. And I think we're going to see things as far as smart grocery stores to smart shopping malls where everything's going to kind of be very easy for you and very user-friendly. You'll be able to kind of get an understanding of what products you're interested in, what's on sale, but specifically for race timing, I think we'll be able to almost paint a picture of your race and you'd have friends and family. Even right now, you're able to kind of track your, your runner or your friend or your family that's running in that race. But I think with RFID and if they put RFID antennas all throughout the race course, you'd be able to understand where they are, how long it's taken them to get through the first mile, just kind of really paint a picture of that race. Great. Timothy, thanks so much for joining me to talk about race timing today. I'll talk to you on the next segment with our guest, Eric Anderson from Impinge, who's here to talk to us about the new R120. Feel free to come on the podcast anytime. It was awesome to hear about RFID and race timing. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Suzanne Smiley, and I'm here again with Timothy Pribble, and our guest here, Eric Anderson from Impinge. He's the product manager for Impinge Readers and Gateways. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So, Eric, tell us a little bit about the new Speedway R120. 
I know it's a new release for you guys. So what led to Impinge coming out with a one-port reader? Yeah, great. Uh, again, thanks again for letting me have an opportunity to talk to you about our new Speedway R120. We at Impinge are very excited about the release of this new product. Uh, to give you a little bit of history, the Impinge Speedway Reader family has a long history of providing industry-leading performance with proven enterprise-grade reliability for applications that spanned healthcare, retail, logistics, manufacturing. And it was our customers that were asking us for a new reader, one that delivered that proven Speedway performance and reliability, but designed for single read zone use cases. These single read zone use cases include medical product tracking and healthcare, point of sale terminals and retail, package management and logistics, tool monitoring and manufacturing. And with the introduction of this new Speedway R120 fixed reader, our customers can now choose the reader model that best fits their use case and budget while still inheriting the performance, reliability, development and deployment tools that they rely on to build superior RAIN RFID solutions. So Eric, I know you said that it has all the performance that the R420 and R220 had, but besides the antenna port difference, are there any other features or functions that this reader is lacking? Anything that we should see differently with it? Yeah, there are definitely differences between the different models. Let me kind of describe a little bit what they have in common, right? So we have these three reader models. We have the one port, which is the R120 fixed reader. We have our two port, which is the R220 fixed reader. And then we have the four port R420 fixed reader. And in common, they have things like extreme reliability, which enables our integration partners to build solutions that are going to operate trouble-free for many years. They all feature this industry-leaving receive sensitivity, which enables more accurate read operations. All these models share the same set of application and development tools, which enable our integrators to write more powerful business applications. And they all share the same set of deployment tools, and that's going to speed and optimize reader installations. So those are some things they have in common. What makes them different is the obvious, the number of antenna ports. The R120 is optimized for a single read zone, the R220 for two read zones, and then the R420 for four read zones. There's also a difference in maximum read rate. So the R120 and R220 readers, they're designed for use cases where the tag read rate is typically 200 tag reads per second or less while the R420 is designed for those high throughput use cases, and it has the ability to read tags at rates up to 1,100 tag reads per second. There's a few other differences as well. There's a difference in maximum transmit power. The one port R120 provides a max of 30 dBm transmit power, while the other two models, the 220 and 420, can transmit up to 32.5 dBm, and that's where it's allowed by regulations. And this higher transmit power can be useful for long-range use cases. And there's one other difference. There is a difference in the ability to support antenna hubs. The R120 and R420 readers support antenna hubs, with the R120 being a one-port reader, able to extend from one port up to eight antennas. And the R420, with four antenna ports, can support four hubs and up to 32 antennas. So with these readers being so similar, what applications are you seeing? What fields, which industries are you seeing where people are, you know, you said your customers were asking for them and they were requiring something with one port. Can you explain some of the different applications and industries that are commonly using this reader? Yeah, of course. The R120 is ideal for those use cases where there's a single read zone. 
So think use cases with a single antenna and moderate read rates and moderate read ranges. The Speedway R120 is ideal for single read zone use cases, and the single read zone use cases would include medical product tracking, and so that'd be a healthcare vertical. They're useful for smart fitting rooms where there's a single read zone, and that would be a retail use case. In logistics, you can imagine package management, where you have a single read zone where packages flow through. And in manufacturing, you can imagine a tool monitoring use case, where tools are passing through a single read zone. So when you think of the Speedway R120 in this one read zone use case, you can think of one antenna and read rates that are moderate and read ranges that are moderate. That makes sense to why you guys brought this on the market. Speaking of the market, how has the reception been so far for this new reader? Well, there's been a lot of excitement for the new reader. Among our partner and system integrator community, they're excited about these new use cases that this new reader empowers, and it does so at an economical price point. They're excited about the reliability that the product brings to market, the common set of development tools that they're already familiar with, and for future-proofing, they also are excited about the ability to expand the number of read zones via this antenna hub. They're probably pretty excited about that new price point, so that leads me to my next question. When a customer is deciding whether to use the R120 and the antenna hub to expand to eight antennas at maximum, how do you help them decide whether they should use the four-port reader or the one-port reader with that antenna hub? Because I know there should be some loss when you talk about the connections to the cable and the hub on those different places, but uh, I wanted to pick your brain on that one. Yeah, of course. Well, let me start by describing why people might want to look at using an antenna hub in the first place. So antenna hubs are used to lower the total cost of a RAIN RFID solution that is utilizing multiple antennas. For example, if you imagine a use case where you wanted to read tag items on eight different shelves, traditionally you would need to have eight readers and eight antennas, basically one antenna and one reader per shelf. So let's assume some numbers here. So let's assume $800 for a reader cost and $300 for an antenna cost. The total cost of that system would be 8 times 800 plus 8 times 300. So $8,800 would be the total cost of that system. Now let's think about the antenna hub. With an R120 and an antenna hub, the same reader cost, the same antenna cost, and let's assume a hub cost of $400. The total system would be 1 times $800 for the reader, 1 times $400 for the hub, and then 8 antennas at $300 each. The total cost of the antenna hub alternative would be $3,600. So $8,800 for the traditional method, $3,600 with the alternative using a hub. That's a savings of $5,200 per system, or about a 60% savings compared to the traditional system. So a tremendous value for the customer. So why would you pick the one-port R120 versus like the four-port R420? They both support antenna hubs. Well, obviously, with one R120, you can support one hub. So that's up to eight individual antennas. With the R420, with its four ports, each hub supporting eight antennas, that's 32 antennas max that could be supported with R420s. So that's one reason why people select an R120 versus a 420. There's also that difference in read rate. The R420 features about five times the read rate of the R120. So it would be more appropriate for more demanding RAIN RFID applications. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That read rate is definitely going to be a predominant factor, as well as the cost in some applications. So I do want to get into some of the awesome features on the Speedway readers. Do you think you could give us a quick overview of some of the features such as autopilot, auto set, 
low duty cycle and dynamic antenna switching? Yeah, all of our Speedway readers, the R120, 220, and 420, they all feature what we call autopilot. So autopilot is actually a set of unique firmware features that together automatically optimize the reader's operation for its specific environment, which enables us to deliver peak performance at all times. Under this autopilot set of features, the first feature is what you talked about, which is auto set. Auto set is a feature that automatically senses the nearby RF environment. It measures RF noise, RF interference, and automatically will select the appropriate reader settings for that environment to maximize performance. So that's auto set. The second autopilot feature is what we call low duty cycle. And the low duty cycle feature automatically places the reader into a lower operating state. So when there are no tags in the field of view, it enters this low power, low operating state that's reducing power consumption on the reader. It lowers energy costs. It reduces the potential RF interference that's generated by the reader itself, which can be really important when operating in an environment with many active readers. And then the final feature you mentioned was dynamic antenna switching. Dynamic antenna switching is when there are multiple antennas connected to the same reader. This feature senses where in the field of view the tags are located and then automatically directs the reader to spend more time on those antennas with a larger tag population and thereby improves the reader efficiency and, and throughput. And so all of these features together comprise autopilot and they come standard on every single Speedway reader. Wow, those are some really great features to have in a reader. Thanks so much for telling us about those. Yeah, the Speedway 120, we're really excited about it. You know, it's going to provide our integrators, our partners, the ability to choose really the best solution for their project. You know, they're going to be able to connect all these RAIN-enabled items to the Internet. They're going to be able to select the model that best fits their use case. And it just gives them more choice and more ability to deliver those systems to their customers that are really going to provide the power that they need for developing these great solutions. Just one more little fun fact, just while we're wrapping this up. So what's your favorite thing about working with RFID? Well, it's, it's always really interesting to me to, to see how people are employing RAIN RFID. They're employing it in ways that I never imagined it would be being used. Like, are you familiar with Topgolf? I think that's a really fun example. Yeah, they're actually building one of those in our, in our neighborhood right here. Okay, awesome. They're headquartered in Dallas, and I love what they've done with the ability to integrate RAIN into their offering. What they offer, as you know, is this entertainment experience with different games that are kind of a combination of golf and darts and bowling. And what they've done is they took RAIN RFID and they built a solution that's great for their games. When you're standing at the tee box and you kind of wave your club head in front of the ball delivery machine, that ball has an embedded chip inside of it, and it's read by Speedway Reader. And then the system associates that ball with the player, and it activates it, says, okay, it's ready for play. And then when you hit your ball out into the hitting area, there are greens that kind of resemble dartboards, and they're divided into lots of little subsegments. And there's Speedway Readers that monitor each and every little subsegment. And it keeps track of where the ball lands. And then it associates where the ball landed in those little subsegments with the player that hit the ball. And then that information is then used for scoring in the games. And I think it's just a really fun way that they've incorporated RAIN, RFID, and really built a, a really novel solution. And that, that's what I really like about this industry is that people are always inventing new, new novel ways to use this technology that really always surprise me in, in all the creativity that our partners bring to the, into this market. 
So if they're covering, I guess you'd call it that fake fairway, that golf fairway with antennas, they're probably using dozens and dozens of different antennas to try to be able to know exactly where that ball landed within that target. Do you know if they're using the hub with that application or maybe they're just using multiple different R420s? No, they they listen to the story and, and that's exactly what they're doing. So to make this uh, solution economical, that's exactly what they're doing. They're taking R420s and they're using antenna hubs with one R420 reader in each of these dartboard-like hitting spaces. They're able to put 32 different little sub-targets within one hitting zone. As the balls funnel through, looks like a literal funnel, there's an antenna that reads the tag inside the ball. The antennas are all connected to one speedway reader, and that information is then all networked back up into the main server, and they're able to associate, again, who hit the ball, where it landed, Now, I've played there before, and it does assume that you're hitting the balls into those target areas. It also has an algorithm that says, well, if you hit one ball and it was never recorded, and then you hit a second ball, it assumes the first ball actually never landed in any of those spaces. But it just shows how they're taking advantage of the antenna hubs, they're taking advantage of everything that's available, you know, putting tags inside of the balls. And if you can imagine how many people are hitting balls simultaneously, it's a lot of a lot of processing power that they've they've put to make this experience what it is and just shows the creativity that these guys are bringing to market. They've really turned into an interactive type sport because there are lots of different games you can play and, you know, compete with your friends that you go there with too, correct? Oh, yes. And I think when we envisioned what Rain RFID would be bringing to the world 15 years ago, this is probably not something we thought about, right? You're putting tags inside of golf balls now, right? We have the mainstream applications we were talking about before, like in retail, point-of-sale terminals, and in hospitals with device tracking and consumable tracking in hospitals. So more of those are mainstream core use cases, but it's kind of fun just to hear how other people are deploying this technology. Well, I'm glad to hear that you've been out there and experienced it. I think my next question is, has the whole Impinge team gone out there and played since there's so much Impinge equipment out on the field? Oh, unfortunately, we're headquartered here in Seattle, Washington, and they've yet to build one here in, in Washington State. So, Well, that stinks. Yeah, it does. Um, I've had the experience to play when we were at RFID Journal Live. There's one there in the Phoenix area. So that was fun. I think they have over 30 locations across the U.S., I think even in Europe. So it's a company that's doing real well, and that would be a great team-building event for our, our Impinge employees to actually get the experience rain firsthand. Thank you so much again for joining us, Eric. Feel free to come on the podcast anytime. It's really been a pleasure speaking to you and and learning more about that new release of the R120, as well as talking about the Speedway series altogether. Hopefully we'll be able to see them up in action at Topgolf. Yeah, certainly would. And um, thank you very much for the invitation. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining us today. To find more information on today's episode and all past episodes, go to rfidinsider.com and be sure to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.